This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, while having a beautifully photographed nap while we while we spine number 98 in the Criterion Collection, Michelangelo Antioni's La Ventura from 1960. But first, RJ, uh, it's the end of the month. Maybe you're the end of the month. Oh, yeah? Did you ever consider that? <laughs> you, you always say these things, but you, you never consider what it's like to be on the other side. <laughs> and I'm glad for it. Mm, so no no snappy remarks, eh? No, I'm just saying it's like one twelfth of the already through 2018. I guess, if you want to look at it in terms of time. Mm-hmm. What's going on with you? What'd you do this week, Jarrett? Uh, uh, no. Well, I watched that Rumble. The Royal Rumble? The Royal Rumble. Yes, I watched that Rumble. Okay, um, I'm going to indulge you once, but I, I just want to state here to anyone listening, because I know a lot of people aren't going to care. I won't let Jarrett talk about wrestling more than two or three times a year mm-hmm. on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, just well, the big ones. Well, we're already at two. Yeah, we're already at two. So the J- New Japan one, the Royal Rumble, and maybe WrestleMania. So yeah, I'm. I'll only let you talk about the the few big events that uh, seem to evade even popular culture, mm-hmm. even outside of uh, the nerds like you who watch wrestling. So uh, I I'll only let you talk about it a few times. So I mm-hmm. people don't have to worry. Well, this isn't a wrestling podcast. Right. Well, I mean, it is important to note that I will only bring it up when I know you have watched it. I know. I <laughs> and, know. And, and that's why and, I'm. And, and this is a rare circumstance where uh, at this point you watched the show without me being there. You went on your own accord to another person's house, another friend, apparently. Well, I I set up other means, uh, which was good because I didn't get invited to. Uh, your viewing party until I th- I believe it was five ten minutes before. No, you're like you can come here, and I was like, ah, oh, 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 thanks for the invitation, Jarrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I um, I have another friend who is uh into the wrestling, and uh, he mentioned one time uh, I should go over there. He said you and your crew are welcome to go over too sometime if you want. So it, it was an open invitation. I see. And yeah. So yeah, I I, I uh, watched it without you. So uh, we're going into this fresh. Cool. We don't know each other's opinions. Oh, well, <laughs> um, well, you didn't watch the night before. They did one of those NXT takeovers, uh, right? And that was like a pretty good show. In fact, mm-hmm. some would say that the main event of that show is perhaps one of the WWE's best matches they've ever had in their entire company's history. Um, really? Which I think is an exaggeration. Um, I thought it was good. It didn't, like, it wasn't bad. It was, it was like, mm-hmm. it was pretty good. But, I mean, I never thought to myself, oh, man, this is, like, redefining how I think about pro wrestling it, at any point. It was just like, yeah, it was good. But, yeah, there's people who have lost their mind. So, going into the Royal Rumble, it was like, oh, they had, like, one of their best shows ever the night before. And then, the, what's this going to be? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the company itself, the main company, they, they have a bad track record of, uh, like, actually delivering a good all-around show um Mm -hmm. but i mean i thought on the whole that this show this royal rumble uh was like entertaining like i it it, uh, yeah i think we've watched worse Uh, i think for being even like a four-hour show it went by pretty quick 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely seen worse with you. Yeah. Uh, I thought uh, the Royal Rumble was uh, wicked fun. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot of it is the uh, the way that the Rumble is set up. So if anyone's not familiar, uh, it, it starts off with one wrestler, and then 90 seconds later, a second one gets added. And then 90 seconds later, a third gets added. Uh, and it goes all the way up to 30. So at one point, there could be 30 men in the ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only way you can get eliminated is if you're thrown over the top ropes. So uh, just so people know, this isn't a normal one. This is uh, this is what you call the big daddy. Yeah. The big daddy, the royal rumble. But not, but not the granddaddy of them all. Because that's WrestleMania. Not the granddaddy. Exactly. Or Starcade. So, but uh, I actually, I don't know. I think Rumble uh, Royal Rumble is more entertaining to watch than the WrestleMania. Because yeah. WrestleMania is way longer, yeah. and there's like 19 hours of people walking down like 100-foot ramps to get to the ring. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how this next uh, WrestleMania holds up. But yeah. yeah, Royal Rumble was cool. I liked it. Um, the place where I was at, they had a, a friendly competition going. Mm. Uh, so everyone put in 20 bucks, and uh, we drew out numbers. So you got numbers from 1 to 30, and that was your wrestler. So it was basically like whoever came, because you don't know who's coming out, right? Yep. So whoever came out at that uh, number that you had, that was your wrestler. And if you had uh, any in the top three, you got your, like if your guy was a third last, um, you got your money back. And then if your guy won, you got the pot. So I didn't win anything, but mm-hmm. it was uh, it made a uh, viewing quite fun. I got some real lame ass wrestlers that were never going to win. Oh. Uh, my the numbers I drew were six, seven, and ten, Ooh. which isn't good because I, I believe uh, the well the guy who won was fourteen. Yes, but uh, I think you you do want someone later on in the in the card. Yep. So uh, my wrestlers were some guy with a guitar. Oh, uh, that would be Elias. Yeah, that everyone was like, oh, yeah, he was getting a lot of attention this week. And I was like, oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> he lasted a while, I guess, which mm-hmm. was nice. Yes. Uh, and then I had the NXT, the guy who won the NXT the night before. Oh, Cian uh, Almas? W- whatever. <laughs> whatever his name was, him. Yep. And then uh, the other guy I got was, um, uh, it was supposed to be someone else. And then oh. two. Sammy two guys, ass- yeah, two guys assaulted him before he got to the uh, ring. Poor Ty Dillinger. So, uh, yeah, none of my guys won. Um, nope. I did offer when uh, the guy uh, Shin was it Shinzuki Nakamura. Shinsuke. The- Shinsuke. Okay, yeah. When he came out at fourteen, I- all three of my guys were still in the ring, and I did offer to the guy. I said, "I'll give you all three of mine for him," and he turned it down, oh. which was the right call yeah. because he ended up winning. But uh, I had a good feeling about that guy. I was like, this guy is cool. He wears cool pants, and he's got a hip haircut. I was like, well, I think he's he, going to win. He was the Vegas favorite. Yeah, so uh, I uh, I tried to make a push for him. But no, it was, in, it was good. It was entertaining. Uh, my favorite part was there was this real uh, chud-looking dude, and um, before he even got to the ring, he was assaulted. And for the next, like, ten wrestlers, he was just crawling his way to the ring the <laughs> whole time. And every person who entered would just, like, kick him in the head, mm-hmm. and he would just be, like, unconscious for another minute. Uh, I thought that was really fun. That yep. was nice. Yeah, Heath Slater. That was uh, definitely a highlight of that, uh, of the men's mm-hmm. Royal Rumble. Uh, any thoughts on the women's Royal Rumble? Uh, I thought the women's royal. I thought the women's royal rumble was fine. Uh, I don't even remember who I had. I knew. I know I had the because uh, we did the draw on that too. Right. I had the um, the Japanese pirate. Mm, yes. Yeah. Kairosane. And yeah, I, I saw her come out and I was like, "Ooh, that's good." And I, I was like, I "Believe maybe they refer gonna... to her as be having a yacht persona." 
on the announcing. Yacht? A yacht. Like Yacht Rock? Yeah. Uh, I see. Uh, yeah, so I saw her. I was like, that's good. I was like, maybe they'll go for an all Japan thing. And then everyone looked at me like I was some kind of chump. And yeah. they're like, yeah, but not her, the other Japanese wrestler. And I was like, oh, okay, dude. Asuka. <laughs> I, I don't like Oscar. <laughs> and I was like, because uh, I even said, I was like, is that a Neon Genesis thing? And everyone's like, everyone looked at me. They're like, what? And I was like, oh, I was a real nerd, Jarrett. <laughs> yep. Sad. Really sad out nerd. of my out of my element where uh they all knew what they were talking about so mm-hmm. whatever but well, uh, yeah the woman's one was fine too yeah, yeah there was well, a lot of real old ladies yeah, that lots, came of, lots of nostalgia yeah how did it fare for you long-term fans well uh i think how did it go there's that first match was like poor aj styles uh billy ray cyrus himself uh he had <laughs> to uh he just he got the short shirt wrestling for his title against two dudes and like yeah. i think like when we got there like everyone you just start chatting and talking about what what you were doing that day so opening matches are kind of tough um yeah. so it just kind of went and that was over with and then there was a tag team match that uh it was like really bad like it was, it, it was like yeah. oh it was like a two out of three falls match and like the second fall came out of nowhere and i was like oh that's fine and then it was the men's royal rumble and it's like okay mm-hmm. cool and i guess that means the women's going last which means that ronda rousey is going to show up which mm-hmm. turned out to be the case um but yeah the men's one was like probably compared to like previous like the last three four years of royal rumbles they've been pretty bad so this one mm-hmm. was like definitely an improvement um because they had a guy that people wanted to see win win uh, mm-hmm. That was followed by another really bad, bad tag team match uh, with old Seth Rollins and uh, the like. Oh, yeah. Those guys got <laughs> the to like shield. they they got what's called like the like kind of like the the, the shit break match mm-hmm. uh, where people go and shit and piss instead of watching yeah. it. Um, no, we uh, no, no, we all got beef on a bun during that match. Th- th- exactly. There you go. Yeah. And that was followed by uh, Brock Lesnar and uh, mm-hmm. Braun Strowman and. Kane, uh, that had one great highlight of uh, an overzealous Braun Strowman actually shoot kicking uh, or kneeing uh, Brock Lesnar in the head, and mm-hmm. Brock Lesnar just like standing up, opening him up with a shot to the ribs, and then just a fucking fist to the face, <laughs> that will, or to the, I guess to the back of the head, and just saying, mm-hmm. uh, "Calm the fuck down." Which he then mm-hmm. did, but that was amazing. That gif, just I watched many times. It's, there's it's actually, a solid punch to the head, man. It is a good punch. This isn't the first time that uh, Brock Lesnar has uh, beat up Braun Strowman in a Royal Rumble. Uh, ah. a, few, a, few, a couple years ago, I think it was like maybe it was even last year, like the Goldberg one. Uh, or maybe the year before, uh, Braun and Brock were in the uh, match for the very first time, and like I think mm-hmm. he like he hit Brock too stiff, and Brock just decided to like just club him with fucking forearms and then there's, there's one where he like goes up against like the ropes and does this like flying knee that like oh, it just looks so amazing uh, mm-hmm. anyway so that was like the highlight for me uh, so they're real life uh, rivals then um, because they, they, I, they're just big clumsy dudes that well, hit each other Bro- Bro- Brock is not cl- I, Brock is cl- he's um Braun Strowman is a big clumsy Bra- Bra- dude yeah Braun Strowman is like, super green still uh, mm-hmm. He's got a great persona. But anyway, so that was cool. And then, yeah, the women's match was uh, – we, actually, we were super entertained by it. Like, that yeah. one was ve- – that one felt like the most, like, oh, the, most, the most surprises and stuff like that because in the men's one, mm-hmm. it was, like, Rey Mysterio. And I'm like, no one cares about Rey Mysterio. Do I, they? I like but, Rey Mysterio. But, but apparently, I thought that was uh, cool. like, YouTube shows that, like, there's been more people uh, watching Rey Mysterio's debut than there have been Ronda Rousey's. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, anyway, the, of course, the whole story was when is Ronda Rousey going to show up in the rumble and is she going to debut mm-hmm. wrestling and uh mm-hmm. no what wound up happening was they just did, had trish stratus come out 
people were still mm-hmm. happy about that. Um, and then the match wrapped up with Oscar winning, and then Ronda Rousey came out smiling and pointing. And uh, yeah, it was <laughs> real goofy too. It was like because yeah. she like couldn't keep herself composed; like she kept laughing, kind of. This is what we call like, do you think... in the business corpsing. Do, do you do you think she she like? knew how funny it was or is she just like bad uh a bit of both gotcha. i think she, i think she was just like she's a fan she was probably really like happy to be there excited, excited. yeah wearing a uh, roddy piper's jacket that his yeah. son gave to her to use yeah. um so i don't know whatever we'll see how it goes um mm-hmm. i mean they're they're going they have big plans for her she's going to be like they're going to be centering stuff around her even though she wasn't there the next night because she's actually off making a movie still Mm-hmm. Even though she can't act. Um. Anyway, yep. so that happened. Enough about wrestling. How has your week been? <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> it's fine. I uh, I've been uh, I've been doing uh, me and Andrea have been practicing a lot. I've been giving her a lot of power bombs. Oh. And uh, Sister Abigail's. Yeah. Uh, you know all all those sweet Spots. moves. Just right. Yeah. 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 So um, a couple Vader bombs. You know. Hmm. You know the huge, but yep. uh, no, I don't think there's a whole lot else shaking, to be honest. Damn. Damn. That's okay. That's fine. We can preamble wrestling. Oh, I think that, 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 yeah, that was like a big creep because uh, I noticed yeah, that you uh, watched a movie. I did. I only watched one movie because um, I was busy. I went to Calgary for the weekend, and that was fun. Uh, hung out with friend of the show, Ryan Nagels. So we stayed at their place and I didn't watch any movies on the weekend. And then when I got home, I was catching up on a few things and there was that Royal Rumble, you know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't I didn't have a lot of time to fit anything in, Jer. Yeah. I did get one movie in for you, though. You did. Uh, so I, I finished off my uh, my plunge, my January sci-fi trip. I have a couple more I'm going to watch, but, you know, anyways, uh, I watched uh, another Jarrett pick. Mm. Uh, Forbidden Planet from 1956. Uh, have you seen this movie? Long ago. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I rented it like ugh, way back when. It's one of those On, like, cult. VHS. Yeah, it's a it's one of those cult classic type deals. Um, it is. So uh, this movie gets praised a lot for influential uh, visuals and ideas and uh, soundtrack. Big, soundtrack. Yeah. So it's a big deal sci-fi. So. I um I've heard about it before. Uh I, I did see that there was kind of a split. Like some people there's a lot of like five stars and then there's a lot of like low star ratings. So I was like, hmm, must be a good split. So I kind of get it now. Uh so this movie is about like uh a Star Trek like crew landing on a planet that was like kind of colonized like 20, 30 years before. So they're like checking in. They're like, we gotta go see what's going on on, on this planet. So they get there. And they get a distress call from a guy. He's like, don't land here. You'll all die. And, he, and they're like, what? He's like, don't come here. We're okay. We're, we're good. You don't, you don't need to check on move us. Move along. <laughs> yeah, move along. This exhibit is closed. Uh, so they're like, oh, that's weird. Uh, and the captain, I didn't mention, is a very young Leslie Nielsen. Oh, yes. And uh, I only, I, I, the only reason I even knew that was because I saw his name in the credits. And then I saw him. I was like, holy shit. Uh, it took me, it took me a couple minutes. I was like, is that him? Is that actually him? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he's the captain and, uh, what was I going to say? So they land and they're like, what's going on at this place? And this, uh, really adorable robot named Robbie, the robot comes up. He gets a 
uh, his own introduction in the title cards, which is cool. Introducing Robbie the robot. I think the company had big plans for him. And uh, the robot brings him back. Just this old dude named like Mephesto or something <laughs> like that. And uh, his like temptress daughter who wears like bikinis all the time and can talk and control animals. Um, and so, so what's this movie about? That's kind of it. So it, it's, it's really good. It has like super good visuals. Like everything looks awesome. Like all the sets are really good. Uh, it's like Cinescope, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Technicolor type stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's like lots of ray guns that shoot like the the red and the greens and I, I don't know how to describe it but it's got that like 50 sci-fi look where you can tell exactly what it is and it looks awesome like it all looks really good um like their spaceship their sets are wicked uh wicked wicked good um it's like we, that, that's proper english wicked wicked good uh no it, it, like everything like looks kind of real like it looks like it actually has a place and is practical yeah but also like kind of fantastic so it's not like unnecessarily like stuff that's just kind of like lying around like a glowing orb and they're like oh that's our orb it just mm-hmm. glows right but there's guys like that come down poles and then like get move up poles and there's like these telescope things and their spaceships on this big like floating thing looks pretty cool the only thing that's goofy is uh it's really funny there's like microphones everywhere like because leslie nielsen walks around and then he's always like talking to the crew he's like crew this is what we're doing. But every time, instead of like having one thing, there's always one mounted on a wall and he'll grab it and he'll be like, all right, crew, this is what we're doing. And then he'll put it back on the wall and then literally he'll move like, not kidding, like a foot. And then there will be another one there and he'll grab that one. And he'll be like, all right, guys, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> They're like fucking everywhere, uh, which I thought was pretty neat. Uh, there's also a scene where he like, when they first land, he stumbles down all the stairs like really, really fast. And I'm not sure why he does it, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, all right. What else is in this movie? It's got some cool ideas, big ideas, Whoa. some uh, interstellar type ideas. There's almost a, a te- Tesseract style thing. They go into like the core of the planet and it's like miles and miles of squares that are like energy cubes and stuff like that. Hmm. I thought that was cool. Um, they talk about like, uh, all the, this like grand civilization and all these, like, it's just, it honestly, it just felt like a, a really good episode of Star Trek, right? Like an hour and a half long episode of Star Trek that had awesome production and, uh, it sounded, um, like it sounded great. It looked great. Um, everything was on point. The only thing though, uh, that I think keeps this from being like a five star movie is there is a big lull in the middle mm. where um, it's all about uh, the daughter. So like there's this like uh, daughter that's like prancing around and uh, it's it's really weird. Like uh, so Leslie Nielsen has like two guys with him and the two guys see the daughter and uh, the guys look at like the dad and I'm not even kidding. The guy's like uh, he basically is just like he says like almost to a quote he's like you know we've been in space a long time we really need something like this can we have her like he, he's basically like can we take your daughter for like some rough raping for a while <laughs> and the guy the guy dad looks at the daughter and he's like yeah i can imagine you would need that and he's like maybe and he's like maybe not today uh so it's like it's really weird because there's there's all this like they're talking to her and it's not even like just 50 sexism it's like because I've been watching a lot of these 50s movies. It's weird, man. Like, <laughs> they're all, like, 
the guy's like uh, one of the guys like takes the girl away and he's like hey we got to do kissing because it's good for energy exchange and she's like okay so they're like smooching a lot and then leslie nielsen will come out and he'll be like what's going on here and then the guy leaves and leslie nielsen uh he honestly says he's like he's like by the way you're dressed i i ought to let him do what he was gonna do you had it coming so he he drops one of those uh you you would have deserved it lines yeah. on this girl. Yeah, it's, it's it's of its time. <laughs> yeah, it's a well. See, that's what I mean, though, because I've watched a lot of these now, and th- this one had the most of that, and I was just like, "Woo!" Uh, not that that like took. Hey now. Yeah, th- th- that didn't even like bring it down for me that much. It's just that they give it so much time. There's like half an hour where it's just like dudes courting this lady, <laughs> and uh, and then like at the end too. She ends up with Leslie Nielsen, and there's even this like goofy line where uh, one of the other like start like crewmen looks at Leslie Nielsen. He's like, he's like, sorry about all that stuff, Captain. Uh, clearly, she picked the better man. And Leslie Nielsen's like, <laughs> and he like punches the guy in the gut. He's like, you old, you old horn dog. <laughs> it's like so. There's stuff like that in there, and like that that kind of I it does kind of bring it down a little bit because it is a significant amount of time. It's like thirty minutes of mm-hmm. a ninety minute movie. Hmm. But other than that, it's wicked. Yeah. The effects are super cool. Like they do um they do really neat stuff. Uh, like there's one scene where one of the, like they're playing around with each other they're like unloading things and they have this big magnet crane and uh, one of the guys puts like this net in his back pocket and Leslie Nielsen like winks at the crane driver and the crane magnet activates and then the guy's butt that has the net in the pocket gets sucked up into the crane uh, and it, it looked like a cool effect like he was probably on a rope or something but I was like that's neat it's very neat. Uh, and there's a giant monster in it, too, yeah. which is pretty cool. So it's invisible. Yes. But you do see it when they shoot it with the yeah. rays. And it looks awesome because it's like neon rays, like bouncing and like uh, going over this. Well, and uh, it's like a drawing, basically, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah th- there's a really good mix of like drawing stuff, uh, drawing effects um, and light and things like that. So th- this movie does look like amazing. Uh, the monster is cool, too. It's kind of like, um, do you know, uh, do you know, like Legend of Zelda? Mm-hmm. You know, like when Ganon is like Ganondorf or whatever, when he's the big pig. Right. That's kind of what it looks like. Right, it's like right. the giant pig version of Ganon. And uh, it's, I don't know. Uh, this movie, uh, it looks awesome. Uh, it's got some cool ideas. Um, it's never like, never like too cheesy except for the lady stuff. But it looks good. It sounds good. Uh, it's obviously inspired a lot of stuff. But there is a, a bit of a, a droll in the middle. Right. But anyways, Forbidden Planet's pretty dope. I liked it. Nice. Yeah. Um, that's the only movie you watched, right? Yeah, that is that in the rumble, but I mean, no. you you know, it's okay. We'll, that's we'll cool. get them next time. That's all right. Um, well, we'll I, I like probably watched like the fewest number of movies in a week for like a really long time. Uh, no this week. way. Yes. No, it's something like, and it happened last year too, around this time. Uh, it's just like burnout from watching a lot of movies. And then uh, perhaps seasonal disorder of some sort where I just, like, ah. don't, don't care about anything. Because around mm-hmm. this time last year, I started reading up a lot more. And, uh, yeah, I know. But, uh, yeah, so I, I just, like, I have all these positive movies that I'm like, yeah, I want to watch those. But I don't really feel like doing anything. But mm-hmm. I managed to get a few in. 
uh, besides our feature film. Uh, I watched a couple more Fritz Lang movies. Uh, so I'm up to now seeing 20 of his films that he made in America. Mm-hmm. One of those uh, was The Blue Gardenia from 1953. Uh, this movie is, it's described as a film noir. And I've noticed this is like a strange thing that happens with a lot of these, a couple of these movies I've watched this month where it's like, oh, it's a film noir. And I have a very mm-hmm. specific idea of what that means. And then you watch them and you're like, not really. Like, it doesn't have the feel to it. It doesn't, it, I don't know. It's like, oh, it's got a crime or in, in it. It's like, so mm-hmm. what? Like, lots of movies have crimes and it doesn't make it a film noir automatically. So yeah. it's, it's like marketing, just like anything else, horror, Western, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, it starts off really strong. Um, it's about these three women who live in an apartment together. Uh, they mm-hmm. all work at the same, like, um, like, telephone company where they're all they, back in the day when you had a switchboard that had to be manually operated by human beings uh, mm-hmm. they're all just like nodes in the system uh, and for some reason uh, Raymond Burr Perry Mason himself mm-hmm. uh, he's in this movie uh, do you do you know what Perry Mason is, RJ? Being a, uh, I a, a know young fella? Perry Mason, okay? That's uh, the guy who made those jars, right? <laughs> no. Uh, oh, do you okay. remember? Uh, so Perry Mason was a TV I know show, Perry. RJ. I know Perry Mason. Uh, and Raymond Burr, he was a guy. He, I guess, like other than Perry Mason, his biggest claim to fame for me uh, is that he was in the American Godzilla movie. Um, yeah, yeah, the the heavily edited one that yeah. people hated, right? Ah, it's fine. It's like it's it's fine for a fifties monster movie. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's the star of that, um, and he's like a big burly kind of dark sunken eyed man uh he's kind of a creep and uh Mm -hmm. he's got a reputation for like he draws ladies he's an artist and uh he he, like always is offering women hey let's go for drinks let's hang out sounds a lot like this guy i know (laughs) who's also an artist yeah oh yeah goes goes by uh, jfd online Mm -hmm. Uh so uh yeah so the story just that's the kind of your initial setup uh, the women go back to their uh, apartment and they're just hanging out being ladies. Uh, one of them's got like a, a bow across seas fighting in the wars and stuff like that of 1953. So I guess Korea. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's got this nice little picture of him. She gets a letter. She's going to like have a nice fancy dinner with him, like not being there, but it'll be like, she'll be reading the letter and it's like they're hanging out. But then she opens up the letter and starts reading it and it turns out, oh, he got injured. And now he like, he's fallen in love with the nurse and they're going to get married. Mm-hmm. And so, so long toots. So she's really busted up about this. And then mm-hmm. uh, an, an opportune phone call comes from Mr. Raymond Burr saying, you should come down to this bar, the Blue Gardenia, and we'll have, uh, we'll have some drinks. But, of course, he, he thinks he's talking to one of the other girls, but that's mm-hmm. okay with him. So she heads down there kind of like, I don't know, she just wants to feel loved or have some attention on her and escape her <laughs> sadness. And uh, Raymond Burr gets to work and just starts ordering those drinks uh, Polynesian Pearl Divers, I believe is the name of the drink. Excuse me? Yeah, Polynesian Pearl Diver, something like that. Oh, uh, they're, okay. They're, they're at a Los Angeles Chinese food restaurant, which is kind of more of like a Hawaiian restaurant, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they, they, he's just ordering Chinese and drink after drink after drink. And it's got this tone to it where you're like, this isn't going to go well, is it? This is like all building to something. Like this guy's mm-hmm. like kind of like a like a real regular like. Because I figured when I read the title Blue Gardenia, it's like oh, it's like bl- like Bluebeard. So is he like targeting women and just like 
mm-hmm. having his way with them and killing them. I didn't know what to expect, but the movie just like it's it kind of just draws it out and draws it out, mm-hmm. and then like oh she's like really drunk, and now he's like and he's like really nice, and he's like let's go back to my place and we'll, we'll have some coffee, and he's mm-hmm. giving her more drinks. She plays a really good drunk, uh, having a good time, uh, and then things take the dark turn while they're uh, hanging out, and mm-hmm. uh, then. She kind of like rejects him, and he starts getting a little pushy. And then she, there's mm-hmm. like, what happens is she like swings the, like around, slashes him across the face, and then it kind of goes to a blackout. And the next morning, she wakes up back at her apartment with her pals, and she's like blackout, drunk, kind of thing. She's like, oh, I don't remember at all what happened. <laughs> but then, then uh, it cuts to uh, a police investigation over at Raymond Burr's place because he has been mm-hmm. killed. And, and, of course, this is where I think the rest of the movie just kind of goes downhill into very, like, well-trodden cliché territory with lots of mm. snappy 50s dialogue, which uh, I think we've talked about you're not a big fan of. Uh, it um, depends. This, there, there are th- this ones is, that I am and I'm yeah, not. This is some real, uh, I don't know, it's pretty obnoxious and, like, yeah. I don't know. I'm like, no, this isn't good. And it's just, like, the rest of it just turns into, like, her, like, dealing with the guilt of killing this man. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it just, and then of course the police detective who's like leading this charge, he finds out it's her, but he's like, I don't know if it's really her or should I protect her? She was just defending herself. But mm-hmm. then the real twist comes where it turns out she, she blacked out and then she left after she attacked him. But then this like really like vengeful woman that was jealous of him, she showed up afterwards and actually killed him. So it's a happy ending. And like just the, the tone of the movie changes so much from the first like, 20 minutes which are really good to like this like kind of happy-go-lucky you're not really worried about anybody so mm-hmm. that was a kind of a disappointment because it was like the first little bit i like thought this is really good why haven't people talked about it more but then i found out mm-hmm. uh i followed that up though with the big heat which was a rewatch which is also oh. Frit, which is also fritz slang came out the same year Mm-hmm. So he made Blue Gardenia in March of that year, and then Big Heat toward the end. Uh, this is kind of like one of those big classics of the film noir genre. It's got Lee Marvin uh, mm-hmm. playing a real sicko, and Glenn Ford playing kind of, I've seen some people throw around, like he's like a proto-Dirty Harry, where okay. it's like, this thing, so the story starts off with um, a man shooting himself uh, mm-hmm. in, in the head, and there's like no blood because it's 1953. His wife finds him and she just like goes over, sees that he's written a letter and it's a, a whole confession about like this crime syndicate in this like fictional town. And mm-hmm. she makes a phone call to the crime boss saying, Hey, this guy's dead. And I've got a letter that basically outs you as like a criminal mastermind, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to put it in a safety deposit box and you're just going to pay me money. And the guy's like, That okay. sounds, that sounds fine. Um, and the rest of the story kind of just follows with uh, Glenn Ford, the, the lead cop, kind of coming across this case. And he does a mm-hmm. little – at the face of it, it looks like a suicide and there's no letter. No big deal. But he keeps, like, looking and keeps looking and finding more information. It's like, hmm, there's something off about all of this. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of goes from there. Uh, this movie's great. Uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely – I think it's, it probably will be the last – good Fritz Lang movie. I've got about five left to go of his American movies. Um, but yeah, between like pretty well the ones that everyone knows, Scarlet Street, The Big Heat, uh, mm-hmm. and even like Fury, uh, his first one, those are like kind of the high watermarks for his movies uh, mm-hmm. that he made. 
but yeah, this movie is great. It's got the, the the moment of Lee Marvin throwing hot boiling coffee in a woman's face, all that sort Ooh. of uh, classic stuff, and just like these like offhand references that are kind of like borderline exposition, but they also leave a lot to the imagination of like, oh, this guy is like seems like a real bad dude because like every time you see him on screen, it's like still that haze code stuff where. He seems mm. like, oh, he's just like a tough guy who's got kind of like a chip on his shoulder. But like when you read between the lines of like when they say, oh, man, I can't believe he did that off camera. You're like, wait, this guy seems way worse than what they're showing, which is interesting mm-hmm. thing. Um, I guess trying to get around it. Uh, you get like the big Glenn Ford turn where like he gets too close to this like organized crime thing and they decide to uh, blow him up in his car. But instead his wife gets it. And so he mm-hmm. then he's like now it's personal and his and they take his badge away and he's a one man wrecking crew for, <laughs> for 1953. Um, yeah, no, that movie's really cool. I like this one a lot. Uh, held up on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say people should watch it if they haven't already. The big heat, hey? The big heat. Um, yeah. So is that all you watched? No, I, wa- I watched one other one. Okay. Uh, it's been a while since I watched a real piece of shit movie. Ooh, uh, nice. Uh, I watched myself Beyond the Seventh Door, which uh, mm. Intervision Video put out. Uh, this is a movie that I'd only ever s- experienced like the VHS cover of. Um, it's mm-hmm. featured on the Letterboxd uh, poster for it. Uh, this is a Canadian film made... Uh, mm-hmm sometime in the 80s, uh, by this guy just living in Ontario. Uh, I believe it's Croatian. Uh, a Croatian guy made this with, like, another Croatian leading man. And it's about a guy uh, who, I guess, like, the biggest takeaway is he's quite ugly. He is mm-hmm. a pretty unattractive-looking dude. And he gets out of jail, and he finds his, like, ex-girlfriend who, like, was the getaway driver from this heist that they were on, and she just ditched him, and he wound up in jail. And now it's, like, he wants to, like, make things work still. Um, mm-hmm. And because she's, I don't know, I can't remember how it goes. I think she has, like, an in on, like, this dude in town who, like, has a whole bunch of money in his basement. And she's like, yeah, we should go break in there. And uh, so they do. But then it turns into this thing where, like, this rich guy is, like, a sadist who's just is waiting around for people to break into his house. And uh, it's, like, all these death traps in, like, mm-hmm. as you get through the house. And that's about it. But this movie is, like, bare bones. It's just, like, these two people. Uh, the woman is, like, she's just, like, this, like, I don't know, 28-year-old woman who like probably done no acting really besides like community theater and this dude um named boris uh rocking the denim canadian tuxedo look uh constantly Mm. having drags on his packs of cigarettes Mm -hmm. and just like solving these puzzles before like (laughs) trap doors open up and like water traps and all sorts of things. Uh, I don't know how to even rate something like this. Uh, it was exactly what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's got kind of like a good twist to the end of the movie, which I will not ruin for anybody who wants to watch this. Based on I don't my, think anybody the, wants the, to watch the, this movie. Jared. Well, the poster's really rad. And like when you see this guy, you're like, mm. man, what's this guy like in motion? Uh, that's about the appeal of it. But boy, you will find out the like uh, how he moves around uh, for an hour and a half as you just get to hang out with him forever and ever and ever. The poster's like kind of cool. Yeah, it's. Pretty- I don't think your. I don't think your description of this movie is going to bring anyone in. No, I mean, 
Laser Rockwood is pretty cool though. Yeah, there you go. His that's his yeah. real name. He yeah, I mean, there's like a vibe to it. It's like the room in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um actually it's, it's like, like room? It's like the room. Not room. Not room. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. This movie looks cool. Yeah, it's, it's something. Uh, I mean, if okay. you've like completely run out of things to watch, I mean, watch this next, yeah. I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, um, I I just felt like I I, I bought this. I had it on DVD now. Oh, and, you own uh, this? Oh, I own this. Mm. And it, like I said, Intervision Video put it out. They put out these like kind of like low low budget shitima lo-fi movies that mm-hmm. I enjoy watching. And when they actually come out in some sort of official hard copy, I'll buy them. I'll, I'll throw them a bone. I've got uh, – there's another one coming up called Suffer Little Children, which is a shot on video British movie. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not, I don't have too high hopes for it, but you never know. You could have some great visuals, some great moments in there. But that's about it for creeping, though, for me. Um, hey, RJ, uh, you got any you got any news? You want to hear about some news, buddy? Yeah, I, I sure would. I got some hot news from Salon.com. Ooh. Quote, the Passion of the Christ sequel on the way from Mel Gibson that was with one, that was one original of my, Jesus. That's one of my, that was one of my news bits. Yeah, you know what I like in this? Hmm. Uh, it says original Jesus. Yeah. Do, do you think they mean the real one? I think they mean uh, uh, Jim. Well, they should have said the original uh, film Jesus, not the original Jesus. Mm. Yeah, this is cool. I've heard him talk about this before. Uh, I think it sounds like an awesome movie. It's it sounds like it's going to be about like purgatory and hell. <laughs> so I don't know. I'd love to see Mel Gibson's version of hell. It would just be dudes walking around eating bagels and uh, giving out DUIs. Oh, terrific. <laughs> what do you think Mel Gibson's hell is? I think I think I've touched upon it before. Um, oh yeah. I, I, I think the, my perfect idea would be is like it's like a meta film about Mel Gibson mm-hmm. living in Hollywood. Yeah, and, and that's where the bagels and, came yeah, into play. It's just like a, it's just a dramatization of his life and mm-hmm. like about being in the the liberal hell, the, mm-hmm. the the sewer of Hollywood. Yeah, and being uh, being the Christ like figure that Mel Gibson mm-hmm. is. With, and he is with more violence. Yeah, uh, I think this sounds cool. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this bad boy. What about you? Uh, what if, what if th- there's a reprisal of the uh, the devil baby? That they get the same like baby actor. To, yeah, like, this, show in, up? unless he's dead. But <laughs> he hit looked like he had some difficulties. That little thing. <laughs> he he whatever that man or woman was, it looked like they were on the end of their tour. But right. uh, if they're still alive, I bet Mel would bring them back. Yeah. Uh, and there'd I, just be a legion horde of them, like in Spawn, like CGI'd, like copy-pasted, like d- thousands of them. I can't remember if I, if I brought this up when we were talking about uh, Last Temptation of the Christ, but my uh, my viewing experience of watching Passion of the Christ many moons ago was uh, getting it on DVD from Blockbuster, like yeah. previously viewed. And then like I got to a point and then the discs just started skipping all the hell. And like mm-hmm. I had to like skip past pretty well like the entirety of like the middle bulk part of the movie. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I haven't actually watched that movie. Uh, well, you missed your chance. We we should should have watched it when we watched Last Temptation. No, that's okay. I think you you did mention that story, and I, I believe did. I I told you that uh, I have two copies of Passion. <laughs> I'll I'll give you one yeah. if you uh, if you want to watch it. I'm I'm still good. We'll see as we get closer. We'll see if this Come movie on. we'll see if this movie actually uh, materializes. 
It could. I mean, if it gets funded by like I'd be, the, the I church. Could, I guess I'd be more interested, I guess, in his uh, Maccabees movie uh, that, that, he, would was, be cool that too. he was threatening. But uh, that seems yeah. like a long time ago. I just want to make anything. Let him do it. That's right. I, w- I can watch Apocalypto again. That movie's fun. Yeah. There you go. Uh, speaking of the liberal hellhole that is Uh-oh. Hollywood, I don't know if you heard that a Tim Allen is apparently going to be making a movie that is going to take down PC culture. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, RJ, uh, let's see here. Uh, this is from AV Club. Uh, uh-huh. they, they seem to be mocking this concept uh, with the headline, Tim Allen sure. joins a movie trying to, quote, unquote, take down PC culture, which is so brave. Uh, really? And uh, let's see here. According to the New York Post, who probably kept this news under wraps for as long as it could, knowing the story's potential to rip a hole in the very fabric of our suffocatingly anti-free speech society, the comedian mm-hmm. has joined the cast of a new docudrama made with the explicit purpose of criticizing what it considers the liberal and politically correct culture in Hollywood, on college campuses, and in comedy. You know, the places where real change happens uh the film titled no safe spaces is being made by conservative radio host dennis prager and sort of comedian adam carolla who are worried about the chilling effect they say is being created by media campuses and the entertainment industry silencing controversial points of view nothing kills comedy quite like people who are constantly offended carolla says which is so goddamn true it's almost shocking no one is permitted to articulate such a dangerously honest perspective in a major media outlet it's impossible to to be funny if we're not allowed to poke fun at each other and that's what's mm. happening with the new generation of people who seem to be offended for a living um, unavailable for comment were the legions <laughs> of people being paid a good salary to be offended professionally likely because they were too busy being outraged and definitely not because they're, they don't fucking exist um, anyways I saw this and I'm like yeah whatever Tim Allen's like well known conservative and bozo comedian who's like bozo always a bozo you you don't tell you can't tell me that uh your family didn't crowd around tgif to watch a little home improvement and if you say you didn't you're lying well i would be lying because i don't think that was on tgif friendo well whenever it aired we'll see see you you know when it aired didn't you it was a tuesday i do believe yeah but you you watched i bet yeah uh i did that was yeah, like and you when, loved it. Uh, when I was in grade two or three, probably when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, so th- th- this is just like it's it's always bad. Like whenever like right wing conservatives like get buckled down, like we're gonna make art. It's mm-hmm. it's horrible. There's like that American Carol movie shit with like Larry the Cable Guy. Oh god! It's, it's that so, guy comes here a lot to Creepsville. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of those types uh, floating around this town. But uh, anyway, yeah, this stuff always goes bad. Like it's just the shits. Uh, they're like, oh, we're, gonna, we're gonna do a parody of Michael Moore. <laughs> oh yeah, and we're gonna really stick it to him. It's just like the it's the shits. Like no one cares mm-hmm. about this crap. Uh, so it's like, oh good, that's this is a waste of everyone's time. Uh, but mm-hmm. no one's gonna actually see it, so that's fine too. I just thought I'd bring it to people's attention. I'll watch this thing. No, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) How many of, like, the best movies of last year you have not watched? I don't know. Uh, Out of the Best Picture nominations, I think I've seen two or three. Yeah. 
So, hey, why don't you shut up, nerd? <laughs> I'll get to. I'll watch most of them before the uh, uh, the Oscars. Yeah, <laughs> I'll watch most of them. Okay. Mm. You you didn't go buy yourself a copy of that Blade Runner twenty forty nine yet? No, I'm waiting until you buy it, and then you can lend it to me. I'm not buying it. <laughs> Why not? You? What was that movie you just talked about that you bought, like, Seventh Chamber of Hell or whatever? Uh-huh. You buy that, but you won't buy Blade Runner to lend to yeah. to improve our podcast? <laughs> uh, you have so many movies to watch. You got Disaster Artist to watch. Yeah, but that's not nominated for any Oscars, so it's, nope. it's like it, it didn't exist. That's true. Right? That's yeah. the only thing that counts in this world, Jerry. You got me there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, see? Hey, any, uh, any other news? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we did pretty good today. Okay. Okay. Buddy. All right. Well, we got a movie to talk about. Mm-hmm. After the break, we're going on an adventure. Is that it? Yep. Questo è il mio viso, e questo il tuo, e questo di lei, e questi i volti degli altri, di tutti gli altri, di coloro che ci vollero bene, di coloro che ci odiarono e disprezzarono. Vedi, questo è il mio viso. Fra i miei capelli e la mia bocca troveresti scritta, se sapessi cercarla, tutta la lunga avventura che vivemmo. L'avventura, questo brivido di freddo che gelò la nostra estate. Io tutto ricordo, il giorno in cui ti vidi per la prima volta, quando attendevo e temevo che tu mi baciassi e quando non seppi più dove tu fossi. E poi, ecco, ti rividi e poi, vedi, ti amai e fui riamata. Perché credetti in te, nelle tue lacrime? Nei tuoi sorrisi, anche quando l'avventura finì e tu baciavi un'altra e non ricordavi più me e non ricordavi più lei. L'avventura, questo brivido di freddo che gelò la mia giovinezza. Tu non senti, dimmi, tu non senti che fu un atto d'amore, l'avventura. L'avventura, un trionfo al Festival di Cannes 1960. Premio speciale della giuria. Premio Federazione Internazionale degli Autori Cinematografici. Premio Federazione Internazionale Stampa Cinematografica. 
Premio Nouvelle Critique. L'avventura. Il capolavoro di Michelangelo Antonioni. La risposta italiana alla Nouvelle Vague. Il film che sconvolge la critica. Freddo, perverso, geniale. L'avventura. Non vi fu mai prima film più difficile. Un atto d'amore per il cinema più completo. L'avventura di Michelangelo Antonioni. Con Gabriele Ferzetti, Monica Vitti, Lea Massari. Presentato al più raffinato e intelligente pubblico italiano. L'avventura non è un film per tutti. È un film per pochi. Perché è una superba e orgogliosa opera d'arte. And we're back. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. And tonight we are talking about La Aventura from 1960, directed by one Michelangelo Antioni. The tagline of this film... <laughs> what, what what was his name? Antoloni. 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 Isn't that a kind of sausage? Uh, Antoloni. Ta- the, the tagline. <laughs> uh, poor Italians on this podcast. Uh, the tagline. A new adventure in filmmaking. The synopsis from Letterboxd. <laughs> in Michelangelo Antioni's classic of Italian cinema, two mm-hmm. lovely young women, Claudia and Anna, join the latter's lover, Sandro, on a boat trip to a remote volcanic island. When Anna goes missing, an extensive search is launched. In the meantime, Sandro and Claudia become involved in a romance despite Anna's disappearance, though the relationship suffers from the guilt and tension brought about by the looming mystery. Mm-hmm. So, RJ, La Aventura translates to The Adventure. You don't say. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought it was just, they just were real bad at spelling. Yeah, or they just make up words. Yeah. Um, so, I had only ever seen one uh, Antonio Antioni movie before, mm-hmm. and that was Blow Up. And that was like a long time ago. I've got that uh, Warner Brothers clip case, snapper case uh, DVD. Uh, watched it back when because it's kind of considered this like big classic of filmmaking. And I wasn't really a fan of it. Mm-hmm. And so I've never really gone out of my way to watch any more of this guy's movies because I'm like, mm-hmm. I, like, I feel like when I'm reading descriptions of these movies, I'm like, <laughs> oh, that sounds like that could be up my alley. But I mm-hmm. kind of have a feeling I know what sort of movies he makes. And they're always going to be like really long and uh, not my thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, of all, all of his movies, though, this is one that like on paper is like sounds really interesting, relevant to my interests, which is about like unexplained disappearances. That is something that mm-hmm. uh, is kind of an obsession of mine. I think about it not all the time, but like often enough where it's like there's not a lot of fiction or like documentaries about it. So when there is something that comes along, I'm like, ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll be uh, talking about one of those types of movies uh, sooner than later with The Vanishing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean like this movie, like it's got that evocative title. It is on so many best lists of all time kind of deals. Uh, so many people regard this as like this is just masterpiece. Um I don't know. It's, it's mm-hmm. got it's got quite the reputation. Um, yes. So, I'll just say that this is a beautiful, like amazingly shot movie. Do, uh, do you, what, what's that? Do you want me to say it? What this movie sucks. This movie is super boring. Uh huh. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, so... Okay. <laughs> okay. Continue. Okay, okay. So I guess I'll say that I like the first half. Like, the first, like there's a point where my interest in this movie drops completely out. Uh, so the movie starts mm-hmm. out with... Uh, we're introduced to this Anna girl, the one who's going to mm-hmm. go missing. Uh, her father is this, like, kind of rich politician, kind of like man of business industry. Uh, and he's got, he's got his own yacht. So he's rich and he doesn't like how this girl's like hanging out with this Sandro dude who seems like kind of a dirtbag. And he's mm-hmm. like, he's, he's like, like the dad like throws like, you know, he's never going to marry you. Right. And she's like, that's fine. I never thought about that either. <laughs> and so uh, she meets up with her buddy, Claudia. Uh, and they're they're pounding around before going out on this boat trip. They meet the Sandro dude who's just like got back from a trip. Uh, they bang in a bedroom uh, while Claudia just gets to hang around outside waiting for them to finish up. And mm-hmm. then we transition to the boat and they're on this boat trip of a bunch of like 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 minded, well to do people. Uh-huh. Uh, they're just out at sea. And they're like, hey, look at all these like weird little like islands and stuff like that. Let's just check out this one. And they do. Uh, I guess there's like stuff thrown in there. Like Anna seems to be very like impulsive. And she's just like, let's go to this island. And there's a lot of people arguing about, oh, let's go to a different island. Oh, I don't know. Let's go. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, whatever. And I'm, so she just jumps off the side of the boat. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Well, I guess we're going back. <laughs> and so they do. Uh, and then we just get like scenes of these people interacting on the yacht and chatting on this island and then like kind of like out of nowhere uh they realize hey where did anna go uh and then we get this like pretty well like a good 20 minutes or so of them just like traversing this like barren volcanic island looking for her um Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like i mean it looks great I've already kind of mentioned that. Like, this movie looks amazing. Like, if you type in this movie's title into Google Image Search, you'll get all this amazing cinematography. Like, all these, like, stills. Mm -hmm. You're like, wow. Like, this is, like, a really well-shot movie. It looks great. Um, And so the whole first half of this movie, maybe, like, 45 minutes, is just these characters kind of, like, wandering around looking for Anna, shouting, Anna, Anna, looking around, looking mm-hmm. around. Uh, more and more people kind of show up. The police show up, and there's, like, no trace of her anywhere. Um, so then that's kind of, like, they go back, they leave, and they're like, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> they get back to the land. Uh, the Sandro and Claudia are, like, traveling together on a train Sandro seems to be like wanting to move past Anna already and talking to Claudia and she's like no no you just get off the train here now let me continue on we're, we're done here we're done and then from that point on uh, my interest in this movie just begins to dwindle as like mm-hmm. the rest of the movie has very little to do with the setup which I guess is intentional um, right because it's like about how these people are kind of vacuous assholes and they don't and they're rich and they're bored with life and it's just like watching them kind of do stuff and then they kind of like get together and like no one seems to really care about this missing person anymore and you're seeing them hang out at parties and like have I don't know these like moments that like there's like nice little moments and scenes in this movie like uh when claudia is like looking at herself in the mirror and making faces and you're kind of like oh oh, something's happening and it's just like these brief little gestures that are like oh that's kind of nice but 
I don't I don't care about anything that's going on, which I suppose is like intentional but like my mm-hmm. god like can we can we not make the same point better uh and it has been done better um but mm-hmm. i don't know well, i watched this a few days ago uh the only scene that i really remember and that's like in the, the scene i was just talking about with the mirror i only remember that because like when i google image searched this movie it was like the scene of her like making faces in the mirror uh mm-hmm. the one scene i genuinely think of when i think of this movie is uh sandro when he's walking around the one kind of like deserted town mm-hmm. and uh he sees this like pot of ink over this like nice sketch rendering of some architecture and he kind of like looks around and he has this like pendulum that he's been swinging and he kind of walks by the ink and he like knocks it over and intentionally thinking like mm-hmm. ah, what a cat i am and there's like no repercussions <laughs> but there's like the person who that belongs to is just like over around the corner and they're like well i just saw you do that and he's like oh sorry that was an accident he's like no it wasn't <laughs> and he kind of like and you're like oh shit like there's actual tension like there's some there's some like drama oh no that gets deflated and mm-hmm. then you just get to see him like watch like a church <clears throat> empty out and a bunch of people walk away in again beautifully shot looks great but mm-hmm. by God, uh, not a whole <laughs> heck of a lot in this movie to like think about or respond to other than it looks good. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, I imagine this movie on a visual level has really like influenced a lot of people and the way movies are shot. Like I, mm-hmm. like, if you were like learning, if you wanted to learn like about language of cinematography in like a fairly academic way, this movie would be like a, like a handful, like it'd be useful to look at this, but as a piece of entertainment, as like a piece of storytelling, I, it did nothing for me at all. That's <laughs> what a lot of people say about this podcast. Ah. Yeah. So Jared. There's this movie called La Ventura, and I've heard about this movie for a long time. Yep. Uh, it gets a weird amount of, like, uh, promotion, I feel like. Uh, when Like, say you if you go to Amazon and you type in Criterion Collection Blu-rays, mm. in the top, like, 20, I bet you would see La Ventura. Uh, whenever there's sales, this is always a movie that's heavily discounted. Not just, like, the Barnes & Noble or, or the... Uh, the criterion like their own uh 50% well, those, off those are across the board yeah yeah because that's like 50 across the board but also even like i've noticed it because i recognize the cover and the name yep because i i think even when those companies do their 50% off this is always one of the titles that's like uh on their main like banner like their main display there will be like things like seven samurai and you know the main hitters but uh la ventura is i like it I recognized it because I feel I was like, I feel like I see this all the time, either on like Amazon or Letterboxd or just like anywhere. I was like, this movie gets promoted a lot. Yeah. I was like, it must be good. But at the same time, I was like, I always see this movie as like half price, like when there isn't other sales on Amazon movies. Like if you went to Amazon, it, it would maybe like normal movies would be like thirty four, thirty eight dollars or something like that. And this one might be like twenty six. And uh because I remember one time I was like, hey, cheap Criterions. Uh, and it was on there. And I was like, wait a minute. Why is this movie so cheap? So I never actually watched it. And I'm glad or I never bought it. And I'm glad I didn't. Uh, yes, this movie looks good. Yep. But this movie also fucking blows. Uh, I, and I mean that in a, like wholeheartedly. I thought this movie 
sucked. Um, and it is for a few reasons. Like, I don't, I don't think the story is interesting in the slightest. And uh, and there's a few reasons. I'm gonna break it down for you, Jared. I'm gonna hit, break it down for you. Hit me with it. This movie has a, a cool setup, right? Yep. There's this lady that vanishes, and then uh, it's kind of an it's left unexplained. That's fine, whatever. And it it's like it's this initial event that kicks off. Okay, these two people meet, and I was like, yeah, I like the idea of that because I I read the description. I was like, that sounds like my kind of movie. I like things like that. But it doesn't feel like so that is what this movie is about. But it it never feels like it feels out of place and it doesn't feel earned. Now, I'm going to bring up a different movie here. And it, it's not even like a particularly good movie. But I feel like this movie does that much better. So have you ever heard of this movie called Enduring Love? Oh, is that with uh, James Bond? Yeah. And that's the movie, the, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the hot weather balloon movie. Yeah. So yep. it's uh, Enduring Love with uh, Reese Ivins and um, Daniel Craig. What's his name? Daniel Craig. Yep. And so this is based on a book by Ian McEwan, the guy who wrote like Atonement and uh, oh, what's it? Um, that Not Amsterdam, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. Comfort of Strangers. And like this guy writes like pretty like raw books. Like uh, I've only read a couple of them, but he has some books like, um, fuck, what is it called? It's called like Amsterdam or well, something like that. And he also wrote The Good Son. The Good Son. Yeah. 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 So there's this one book I read of his where um, it's two guys who like plan each other's uh, assisted suicides because they hate each other so much. They're like rivals. So they awesome. each, it's it's wicked good here. I'll, I'll look it up while I, I keep talking. Um, but anyway, so it's Enduring Love is a book from that guy. Yeah. And uh, in that movie, uh, what happens is Daniel Craig is out at like a picnic and he sees... <laughs> Uh, this weather balloon fly by yep. and there's like three people holding on to the weather balloon and he's like what the hell so he runs over and he tries to pull down the balloon and uh, it's him and like re-siphons the lizard from uh, Amazing Spider-Man and um, a couple other guys and this weather balloon's flying away and then you see you notice there's like a little kid in the weather balloon but he's mm-hmm. alone uh, so you're just like, holy shit, they're all trying to pull down this weather balloon. And then there's like a really grisly scene where a guy falls and like it's from high enough up that he mm-hmm. dies and his like guts blow up. And it's like eventually they ha- they all have to let go. And then the weather balloon takes off. Yep. And it's like this really traumatic experience, uh, experience for all of these people. Yep. And they're just like, holy shit, we don't know what to yeah, do with it. And then the rest of the movie just like because it kind of jumps ahead. To like yeah, afterwards, it, and it's dealing yeah, with it's, that trauma. It, yeah. It's all after. It's all about the trauma of it. But what the movie's really about is Reese Eifens uh, or whatever, the lizard. <laughs> so the lizard becomes like uh, obsessed with Daniel Craig. With James Bond. James Bond. The lizard is obsessed with James Bond. He starts like stalking him, and like he's like naked in his apartment, and like because he's like in love with him. And it's like this weird way that these people are dealing with this situation, but it's also, so there's this big traumatic event, but it leads to this different story about how the lizard is stalking James Bond and like, uh, is in love with him. So that movie's like, okay. Uh, I've heard the book is a lot better, but, um, that movie's like, okay, but I just bring it up because like, I think that La Ventura tries to be like that where it's like, there's this event like this woman goes missing and it's like, okay. And it kind of brings these people together in a way that like some, that nothing else could right? like, cause sometimes people who are in 
traumatic uh, experiences together, they're bonded in a way that other people aren't, right? Mm-hmm. Not even not even traumatic. Like people who just go through certain experiences together, they understand, like they go through it and they come out on the other side and they're closer to each other, right? So I get it. Like I was like, yeah, that idea totally works. But in La Ventura, it doesn't work. I don't think it works at I, all. I, see, because, I don't even think that's the idea behind the movie though. No, I don't think so either. But yeah. that's why, like, I feel like it's out of place. Like, I feel like it's an allegory or a metaphor for something. It's like, oh, look at these people. They're so like, they're so like laissez faire, hands off, baby. Well, they're like, whatever. We're just like floating around. It's like, yeah, yeah. this woman. Well, I, I, yeah, the, the word yeah. I saw thrown around uh, in describing this film is ennui, which uh, I love saying oh, that. I, I love saying that word. But like, yeah. I think I used to describe it is like just Franco movies, which you know. Okay are like i think are way better than this uh and like those are like ridiculous weird artful lesbian vampire movies like and with like pervo camera movements towards women's like vaginas and stuff like that but like i think those movies are like way more interesting than this uh other than it's like well yeah the the cinematography is certainly not uh as crisp and like precise and like quite like beautiful to look at but like I would watch those movies in a heartbeat over ever like watching this. Like this is like just, I don't even know how you would call it. Like just arch, like the definition of like high minded Italian art house cinema. Like Mm -hmm. like, when, when we talk about like, Fellini movies like I feel uh-huh. like uh, you give him shit about stuff but it's I like do. but he like man his movies are so like like there's a reason behind them there's like something to draw you into those movies uh, they're very different film directors other than the fact that they mm-hmm. like both come from the same country like even um fuck I'm even like Pasolini with like Salo or whatever like that movie like has like a, a there's a movie there like there's mm-hmm. like it's a disgusting horrifying movie but like it has like something going for it where this just like i man this thing is two hours and 23 minutes long and i mean it's just like oh this is still going and it doesn't matter if i'm watching it like i i went and did some laundry uh (laughs) at one point like i was Mm -hmm. like oh better better go put uh some new clothes in switch out the wets and put the dryer yep and i'm like i'm 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 not gonna hit pause i'm good i'm gonna get tend to the laundry that's that's like the point I'm trying to get at. Like why I think this movie is so bad is that it never makes you feel like it's important enough that you actually need to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's just like on and you're like, whatever. And I think the the other like the big pro- the biggest problem about this and you've already talked about it, but this movie is like debilitatingly slow to a detriment. It's like there are so many things. It's like, OK, I kind of get what you're doing but you're killing your own movie. Like there's a scene where uh, girlfriend and the dude uh, are rolling around in the grass and they're like smooching each other. And it goes on for like five minutes. Like, honestly, it goes on for five minutes and they're like smooching and they're just rolling around in the grass playing. And I was, I watched the entire segment. I didn't even look away because I wanted to see, I just, I was like, is, is this it? Is, is anything going to happen? Or are they just doing this? And that was it. That's all they did. And uh, I, w- <laughs> I was just like, man, this movie is making me so mad at how boring it is. And that's the thing too, right? Like it looks nice and it's a well like put together movie. Right. But I just think it sucks. Like, So I watched this on um, Canopy. 
which is like yep. uh, a thing that our university's library has that you showed me. Yeah. So it uh, it's like an online That's why I watched streaming. watched it too. Yeah, it's like an online streaming thing, and it's got actually a ton of Criterion movies. So I was watching on Canopy, and I my timestamp was 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I know that is because at 27 minutes, because it was on this online streaming platform, I was able to increase this playback speed from a normal rate to one and a half times. <laughs> and I watched this whole movie in one and a half, and it still felt like it was just forever. It was so long. Um, but see, like, so that's what I mean. Like, I don't. This movie doesn't even suck because it's like slow and boring and it looks <laughs> nice and it sucks that it's slow and boring. I just like I don't think that it I don't think this movie deserves any of the credit that people seem to be like heaving on it because the story's not interesting. It's like, yeah, this lady disappears and then these two people fall in love. Okay. Uh and like the thing too is like because I I could understand like why why you might not like the back half of that, but like as we already know, summertime is my jam. Mm. So two people touring it like Europe, falling in love. I like that stuff, man. Like, so I feel like uh, I should have really enjoyed this movie, but I just don't think it's very good. There's other stuff too that I'm getting like bummed out by. It's like the horny rioting Italians that are always in Italian oh, movies. Oh yeah, and it. Is that what they're actually like over there, or is that just this weird, this mm. weird artifact of cinema from the fifties and sixties that all Italians are just like horn dogs, like trying to rape and like riot against women? Because that's what it seems. Did, did you uh, hear the story of how uh, Asia Argento, after she like came out about Weinstein being a rapo scumbag, how like she had to like flee? Italy because like the, the the country there just was like you are you're just a whore get the fuck out of here uh, and it's like because if you watch like a lot of uh, 70s Italian cinema uh, the, the strange like Catholic Madonna whore like misogyny of that country mm-hmm. is like quite on the face it's just there and it's like pretty unquestioned and I don't think it's really gotten any better over the years I, I don't know and it's like, yeah. it's pretty fucked up I'm sure there's some pretty like liberal minded people that do live there but man just as like a, a place of like like yeah I don't know I've heard like many stories of like uh, women I know who've gone like overseas and they just talk about their experience of being in Italy particularly if you're like a blonde mm-hmm. girl man it's like you get a lot of attention foisted on you and it's oh, like, I'm and, sure. and it's just like out of nowhere but I mean you, you could say the same thing like there's like those uh those videos of like um whatever like the woman walking around in like new york and being just like uh wolf whistled at and chatted up Mm -hmm. constantly and uh it's like i'm sure it's in a lot of places but yeah italy it seems to be like a real like (laughs) uh focal point of just like weird Mm -hmm. creepy dudes following you around yeah and there's like oh god there's like the scene of that actress woman that shows well that's what i mean it's It's horny rioting italian it's just like what the hell is this like like it's just dudes like because it's like that's like kind of like a when it's like the Beatles and it's like a screaming mm-hmm. mob of women, it seems to be like, oh, it makes sense. But like the fact that there'd be like, like a hundred men just like standing around wanting to look at this woman, I'm like, mm-hmm. like no, they wouldn't. Like, I, this, this doesn't even make sense to me. But maybe they would have. Maybe. Mm-hmm. The thing too, like the the way I was interpreting it, someone was like, oh, uh, it sounds like she's an actress or something. But it sounded like it didn't even matter that she was like possibly an actress or a famous person. It was just all these dudes were freaking out because like. Like that lady is just the Stacked. hottest. 
piece of ass and we're going to get her. Because they're like, they break into the store because they're like, we're getting after that woman. And I was, this whole movie has things like that too. Like there's dudes grabbing tits. There's uh, that one guy like really going after the lady in the bed. She's like, I'm not into it. And he's like, what do you mean you're not into it? So I don't know if cinema and Criterion especially have taught me anything. It's that uh, Italians are basically rapists. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know if we have any Italian listeners. I'm, you can email in. <laughs> it's not my opinion. This is the, the Criterion collection <laughs> and movies and cinema. This no. is the this is the um, the idea that is getting pressed into me is that whenever you see Italian men, they're chasing women, and uh, it's not always wanted. Yeah. So. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Let's see here. So I've just pulled up because, uh, as you would expect, uh, Roger Ebert has this in his great oh, mo- in, in his great movies uh, uh, collection. He's an uh, old pervert too, and, and dead. But so this was written in ninety seven, January nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, see here. Uh, this is a quote from the movie. Tell me you love me. I love you. Tell me you don't. I don't love you. By the time this exchange takes place, deep inside uh, La Ventura, the conversation has nothing to do with love. It is more like an attempt to pass the time, like a game of solitaire or flipping a coin. There is not mm-hmm. even the possibility that the characters are in love, can love, have loved, <laughs> will love. Too shallow to be truly lonely, Pauline Kael wrote. They are people trying to escape their boredom by reaching out to one another and finding only boredom once again. LaVentura created a stir in 1960 when Kale picked it as the best film of the year. It was seen as the flip side of Fellini's La Dolce Vita. Both directors were Italian. Both depicted their characters in a fruitless search for sensual pleasure. Both films ended at dawn with emptiness and soul sickness. But Fellini's characters, who were middle class and had lusty appetites, at least were hopeful on their way to despair. For Antione's idle and decadent rich people, pleasure is anything that momentarily distracts them from the lethal ennui of their existence. (laughs) Kale again, the characters are active only in trying to discharge their anxiety. Sex is their sole means of contact. The plot of Love Ventura becomes fame or became famous because it was said nothing happened in the movie. What <laughs> we saw was a story. So this was like something that was acknowledged even back mm-hmm. in 1960. And this movie was super popular. Like it was like sold out in theaters and stuff like that when it showed up. I don't know. What mm-hmm. we saw was a search without a conclusion, a disappearance without a solution. The title in English means the adventure, and it was not hard to imagine Antione's dry smile as he penned those words on the first page of his screenplay. A group of wealthy friends are cruising the senior Sicily on a yacht. They anchor near an island, swim ashore, and begin to explore. Anna has quarreled with her lover, Sandro, and has been overheard saying she wanted to be left alone. They both go ashore, along with friend Claudia and others. After time, Anna cannot be found. The others search the island for her. It is mostly rocks and scrubby trees, and there, se- there seem few places to hide, but she cannot be found. And she's never seen again. If Love and Shura were a conventional movie, you would be furious with me for revealing this information because you would assume this movie was about the search for Anna. It is not. It is about the sense in which all the characters are on the brink of disappearance. Their lives are so unreal and their relationships so tenuous they can barely be said to exist. They are like bookmarks in life, holding places but not involved in the story. The yacht is sent to bring help, etc., etc. These phantom boats... Let's see here. They hear a boat far away. There's a teasing shot in which they see it or almost see it. Did Anna leave on this boat? Later, perhaps they hear another boat. These phantom boats are like the dead body that was or wasn't on the park grass in Antione's blow-up. The 1975 Australian film Picnic at Hanging Rock is also about a person <laughs> consumed by a landscape. I just like to point out that these movies are really name-checking all of RJ's faves. 
Oh, God. Uh, Love Dolce Vita, yeah. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Uh, uh-huh. The effect of Anna's disappearance is disquieting. We want to know there either was a boat or wasn't a boat. I Nope. And Anna either did or didn't leave on it. <laughs> I'd, I'd know. I'd, I didn't care. Nope. Uh, the film remains slippery. Eventually, the yacht returns with the police and Anna's father, who seems unhappy to be called away from his responsibilities for something insignificant like the disappearance of a child. I didn't get that either. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there is a scene that is shocking in two ways. First, it, it beca- because it occurs at all, and the second because it hardly seems to occur. It's like the ghost boat. We're not sure. We're not sure we saw. The party has returned to the yacht, and Sandro and his lover grabs Claudia, her friend, and kisses her. Claudia pulls away. The moment passes. What is she thinking? Is she disgusted that he would so soon betray? Anna? It's impossible to know. On shore, Sandro makes a report at police headquarters and follows Claudia onto a train. He says he loves her. Later, they are joined by other friends, including Gloria, a sexy rider who walks obliviously through working-class streets where the men and boys bully her, accepting their attention as if it is the weather. There's an interesting point being made here. She is at pains to present herself as sexy, but has forgotten why she does that. She dresses and moves out of a memory of a time when she cared what men thought of her. They still think, but she has burned out her ability to care. Claudia accepts Sandro as her lover. Anna is forgotten. Neither mourns her. She served a function, and now that she is gone, that function must be filled by another. They check into a hotel room together, and while the bellboy is watching, Sandro tries to kiss Claudia, but when the bellboy is gone, Sandro doesn't try again. He goes down to a party in the hotel. Claudia sleeps, wakes, runs down the corridor, hoping or afraid that Anna has returned. She finds Sandra downstairs, sprawled on a sofa with a prostitute. She runs outside. As Sandra rises, the hooker asks for a souvenir, French for a memory, and he throws bills down at her body. Outside, the empty dawn. When Leventure was released, it became a joke to refer to Antione Ennui. <laughs> at its premiere at the Cannes Festival, the audience booed, but it won the jury prize and became a box office success all over the world. It was the most pure and stark of several films about characters who drifted in existential limbo. In America, it came at a time when beatniks cultivated detachment, when modern jazz kept an ironic distance from melody, when it was hip to be cool. That whole time came crashing down later in the 1960s, but while it lasted, La Aventura was its anthem. I did not much connect with the film when I first saw it. How could I at 18? These people were bored by a lifestyle beyond my wildest dreams. When I taught the film in a class 15 years later, it seemed affected and contrived, a feature-length idea, but not a movie. Only recently, seeing it again, did I realize how much clarity and passion Antioni brought to the film's silent cry of despair. His characters were parasites whose money allowed them to clear the way uh, or clear away the distractions of work, responsibility, goals, and purposes, and expose the utter emptiness within. It is possible to be rich and happy, of course, but for that you need a mind and interests. It is impossible to be happy simply because one is ceaselessly entertained. La Ventura becomes a place in our imagination, a melancholy moral desert. Why don't we have movies like La Ventura anymore? Because we don't ask the same kinds of questions anymore. We have replaced the purpose of life with the choice of lifestyle. I used to think Peggy Lee's Is That All There Is was the saddest song. Antione can think of a sadder one. More. Mm-mm. 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 No, that's dumb. <laughs> hey, you know what my takeaway was? That when that movie premiered, it was booed. <laughs> I'm with you, man. Like... I think that's got to say something. It's like, no, it doesn't matter that it won an award. It's like everybody who watched it hated it. You know, there's a trilogy and we'll be watching Shut them because they're in the no. trilogy. Yes, yes. No, RJ, I don't want to. There's, there's like two more of these down the road. With the same, it, I don't care. 
I'm not watching them. What numbers are they? I don't know. They're coming. La note, la eclipse. <laughs> we'll be long dead before we get to the other uh, two of these. I don't. I didn't know that, and that really. No. <laughs> I think this movie sucks, man. I don't know. Uh, hey, I, I'm not defending this. Like, I, yeah. I just, I don't know what other people see because it's like it's not like oh, it's a bunch of old fuddy-duddy critics who talk this movie up or dead critics. Yeah. It's like there's people who like are current and they're like this movie is a masterpiece and no, i'm just not. like huh what do you see or what do, how are you able to watch a movie like this and i'm just like no like this is just like a slog to me um it's, i yeah. think this movie sucks man i really don't get it yeah i don't know i i, I see people also talk about like existential crises and stuff like that and i'm like i don't know man i know i feel like you, i'm in a constant state of existential crisis and this movie doesn't reflect that yeah. to me at all but you, you could watch like the sand lot and get better existential crisis out of that <laughs> fact fact um let's see let's see if there's any fun uh production notes here uh oh yeah so apparently at one point they ran out of money while they're like on that island mm-hmm. Uh, there's points where they were stranded for three days without food or blankets making this fucking thing uh, due to the rough condition of the sea uh, and the difficulty in landing a ship on the rough rocks. Uh, the, the cast and crew were forced to sleep on the island. Uh, Antonio stated that he woke up near every morning at three o'clock in the morning to be alone and reflect on what I was doing in order to reload myself against fatigue and a strange form of apathy or absence of will, which often mm-hmm. took hold of us all. <laughs> <laughs> After several weeks of uh, Antioni and the crew were working without a budget, the production company uh, agreed to finance the film and sent money to him. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, this is a good one. Whilst shooting on this is actually links back to summertime as well. Whilst shooting on the forty-foot yacht for scenes early in the film, the cast and crew totaled twenty-three people. Antioni had wanted to shoot the film chronologically, but the yacht was not available until November. Owing to the cold weather, actress Leah Massari developed a cardiac condition after spending several days swimming in the Mediterranean Sea during filming and spent several days in a coma after being rushed to Rome for medical treatment. A coma? A coma, yes. Uh, but it's like, shit. if you recall, that was like Catherine Hepburn was in summertime oh, yeah. where she had like, like what is her pneumonia or something crazy happened. Fucking uh, is that beef steak? Fucking into a coma? Uh, goddamn uh, Italians in like fucking water. Just. Jeez. No. Well, even more reasons this movie sucks. It's, Fucking director was a crazy person. Trying to kill Pohoke. Water's like one degree. It's like, get in the water. Antioni wrote that the film was, quote, expressed through images in which I hope to show not the birth of an erroneous sentiment, but rather the way in which we go astray in our sentiments. Because as I have said, our moral values are old. Our myths and conventions are old. And everyone knows they are indeed old and outmoded. Yet we respect mm. them. Unquote. Is that really what we say? What we think? Uh, Is that really how the world works, Jarrett? Michelangelo. Mm. Yeah. I don't like it. Nope. 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 I don't like any of it. Well, I think, we see, who hates this film as well? Let's Um, check it out. Friday Foster, half a star. The only thing it has going is the cinematography, which is beautiful. Mm. I'm tempted to give... Another half star for it, to be honest. But that's literally it. Lamhart, half a star. 
one of the most boring movies I've ever seen, had a miserable experience watching it, and was tempted to turn it off many times. This movie is disrespectful to the audience. It doesn't concern itself with such trivial things as a coherent plot, suspense, interesting characters, or well-written dialogue. There's no humor, no life, and no substance. It's like someone took everything that makes movies good and deliberately threw it by the wayside. That may or may not make it art but it sure as hell makes it for a terrible watching experience this is a pretentious film and as such loved and adored by critics it's all about their pretense really because there's nothing else to see here <laughs> boss <Great>. von stratum <laughs> one Ooh. star this movie is like that blank canvas that hangs in your local modern art museum everyone keeps <laughs> saying it's brilliant and full of meaning while in fact it is just a blank canvas I want my three hours back. That includes the 30 minutes of listening to a French guy shaking no with everything he said, as if he knew he was just spouting meaningless drivel. Of course, there is the influence this movie had on future movies, and it looked pretty impressive too. I fail to understand how one can feel that watching this movie equals two and a half hours well spent, but to each their own. But I'm I'm with them. I think that's a good that's a good like uh, I think that's a good um comparison. Is a blank canvas. <sighs> It's just drawings on that canvas. They're there. There's things to look at, but it boy, looks, it looks all right, I guess. Oh, but it, whatever, it, it looks it looks pretty damn nice. Uh, who loves this movie? Uh, mm. Frank ninety eighty five stars. Oh God, powerful, exacting, movement and grace melancholy and forlorn how do people process mm. loss sudden inescapable finding ways to match the emotional angst on screen with longing camera work and thoughtful camera work all working to the characters coming to the understanding of how broken they are and that they are okay being broken sometimes the metaphor rings obvious the old vase crashing to the cracks although it contains multitudes of ideas and thoughts to it and obvious uh, complexity it contains multitudes eh an obvious that's, complexity that's it that's a good way to say that you don't understand what it means it's got layers dude mm. you do you even see the layers it has it's got layers mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah man I don't know. I don't know, Jared. I don't think it's very good. No. Uh, well, and uh, it sounds like you don't think so either. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you were somewhat impressed by uh, the visuals. I, I, yeah. So, okay. Looking this up here, uh, 10.6 thousand people have watched this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it has an average rating on Letterbox of a 4.0. No, come on. Yeah. It has 160 fans. Which is like, that's oh, it's not as many as you'd think, considering how many people have watched it and how high it is. So it seems like people that movie yeah. people people pay a lot of lip service to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, like I, I see a lot of people. A classic, an extremely influential. Um, Antione explores stubbornness, boredom, immortality, failed relationships, and fear of commitment among the wealthy. This is a long, extremely dialogue-driven film that is beautifully shot. La Ventura may be a challenge to sit through for some, but if you let yourself go and explore what's inside, you will be rewarded. A troubled production from start to finish, but in the end, result is astonishing. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. There's, like, there's a big divide there. Uh, I'm pretty sure that... People who tune into this podcast and get to this point who have seen this movie before, they might have been able to go, I don't think they're going to like this movie. Like, I just don't think it's our mm-hmm. type of movie at the end of the day. Um, it's Well, see, that's the thing, though. Like, 
It is and it isn't. It's not because it sucks. But it also, it is because it's like, if someone were like, hey, what if you took The Vanishing and Summertime and you put them together? I would have been like, yeah. I would have been like, sign me the fuck up. That sounds legit and lit as AF. But uh, yeah, no, no, this movie is lame. No. Uh, No no defense from me. I'm Mm -hmm. like, there's no point. Well, yep. I think that's enough. Enough talk of this. That's that's all I'm going to say. That's I'm pretty, not watching we, we, the we, other we, two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, here we are. Uh, <laughs> after the break, we're going to just wish this movie disappeared. I'm walking down your street again And past your door But you don't live there anymore It's years since you've been I've got good news. What? So uh, the third part of this uh, thematic trilogy of Antioni, uh, mm-hmm. Les Eclis, that is spine number 278. Mm. And uh, Le Note, uh, the second part, is not till spine number 678. Wait a minute. They're not even in the right fucking order? Yeah, they're um, they're not really a trilogy with like characters following through. It's... Uh, Okay. It's, it's a thematic, so what? Uh, someone, well, well, I guess what it means is you'll have to watch all three of the movies again each time we vi- revisit watch oh, these movies. It'll be like people who watch uh, every Star Wars movie before the new Star Wars comes out. Yeah, yeah, they go through each time. Yeah. Well, uh, six hundred will for sure be dead. Two seventy, if if my plan works, you'll at least be dead, and I'll be very close on my way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, hey, I, fa- I looked up uh, that book. It is called Amsterdam yeah. by Ian McEwan. And it's about two guys who are friends, but they fucking hate each other. And then they all, th- they uh, at the same time, they both plan to have the other one like assisted suicide because they're like, I'm going to kill that fucking piece of shit. And it's like, I'm going to make it look like he wanted it, though. It's a good book. Someone should write a screenplay about that. Someone should write a screenplay about that. Maybe in- Ian McEwan should. Yeah, enter into a film festival. You can email uh, us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about your mad love for Antioni and perhaps even mount a defense for him in his movie. Mm. Uh, we got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Uh, we got a Patreon page under Criterion Creeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Next week, spine number 99. We're watching a documentary. Nice. Give me is it sh- good? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Give me shelter from 1970. 
uh, directed by the Massales Brothers and Charlotte Zwerin. Uh, hey, RJ, you like the Rolling Stones? Sometimes. Well, this is you're gonna you're gonna watch you're gonna see a lot of them. Uh, okay. Yeah, this is a document about uh, a rock concert where someone gets mm-hmm. stabbed. Ooh, shit. Yeah, it's a good time. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the past. Uh, we're going to Altamont, and uh, yeah, uh, should be cool. I'm curious what RJ will think. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't know. Um, we're gonna go boating, I guess. <laughs> Fucking die. <laughs> That will end with a pat on the head. Yeah, that's right. Uh, nice for, for greasy hair. Mm-hmm.